All right, so here's the deal. What happened was, I was supposed to be at this thing last week, um, a conference, and um, I'm in Chicago. I'd flown as far as Chicago, and they were supposed to pick me up. <laughs> they called me and said, hey, uh, this meeting's actually next weekend. So I scrambled, realized that what had happened was they had they had actually scheduled this a year ago, changed the date, but never sent me any documentation. So I'm in a pickle because last week Brett and Janice were speaking. And so I asked them, you guys want to swish? But they had a wedding this weekend. So we decided, okay, what are we going to do? I'm actually in uh, the Chicagoland area doing this men's retreat, speaking at a church. So we decided, okay, what do we do? And uh, because I'm going to be doing a three-week series on the subject of faith for the next three weekends, including this weekend, there's a message that I did that we put together um, about a year ago that was kind of geared up for something we're going to do on the internet. It's a little more um, artsy, but uh, I had been reading, reading Blaise Pascal's uh, book called Pensee, and it's a book about thoughts. Pensee means thoughts, and he's talking about faith and musings on faith. And so we're going to you show you that little piece. It's not very long. I want to show it to you and listen to what it's talking about. It's talking about how faith in God is fairly gnarly and how we push past that and how we look for the the evidence of his presence in our lives. And that'll become kind of a foundation for what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you don't hate me for not being there. But I'm kind of here spiritually speaking. So enjoy. you look around this room, there are all kinds of things uh, strewn about. Looks like the aftermath of a happening, like a party, a bunch of different people coming together with all kinds of stories sort of converging here. Or maybe not. I mean, maybe someone just set all this up to make it look like there were a bunch of people that got together and a party never really happened. You get to decide on that point. And you know, actually that's how faith works, how belief works. We see evidence around us and we try to come up with a meaningful way to interpret what it is that we're seeing. I mean, we see the universe around us and, and all the things scattered in it, things of beauty and amazing order, both on a macro level and a micro level. And there's, there are all kinds of things bursting with energy in life. And then there's all kinds of empty space and cold darkness. And when you look at it all, it, it's not a huge stretch or unreasonable to imagine that uh, someone made it all, that there's a story behind what we see. And yet on the other hand, um, maybe not. Maybe the universe is just here because of the random chance of natural laws and, and there's really no narrative beyond what we see. And again, the truth is each one of us gets to decide for ourselves on this point. Blaise Pascal, he's an old dead Christ follower, brilliant guy, brilliant mathematician from the 16th century. He wrote, quote, if, if God had wished to overcome the obstinacy of the most hardened, 
He could have done so by revealing himself to them so plainly that they could not doubt the truth of his essence. And he said, there's enough light for those who desire to see, but enough darkness for those who are of a contrary disposition, end quote. The question is, what's your disposition? I mean, when you look at the world around you, what are you inclined or disposed to believe? Believe in God or not? Historical Christianity actually holds that this is really important for faith, the fact that you get to choose. Because faith can only exist in freedom. Which means when you observe the phenomena around your life and around you in the world, you can interpret it with God in the picture or not. It has to be your choice. We're never forced to believe. Um, the great apostle Paul, he was one of the first followers of Jesus, wrote about a third of the New Testament. He claimed that creation itself and the experiences that we have in life, that those things are hints of God's activity in our lives. That that when we experience those hints, we can choose to believe or not to believe. For instance, he one time was preaching to a bunch of people that were outside of faith, they were basic pagans, and uh, it says, he, he quotes him saying that we're bringing you good news. We're telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. And then he said, in the past, God let all the nations go their own way, and yet he has not left himself without testimony. Here's what's interesting. Here's what, here's what Paul said the testimony of God is. It's his kindness shown to people by giving us rain from heaven and crops in their seasons, providing plenty of food and filling hearts with joy. I mean, all this stuff you can say just naturally happens. Paul claimed that God was actually at work. And even though it might look like it might not be, uh, that there's another explanation for all the things that happen, that it's just sort of chance, he is saying those things that might be looked at as chance are actually evidences. They're testimony of the fact that God is present in the lives of people. And Pascal, again, he actually says, nature points everywhere to a God who has been lost, both within man and without, and to a corrupt nature. He's not saying God isn't really there. He's saying that he's chosen to hide. And, and it's C.S. Lewis that says it's, it's actually in the hiding that we catch hints of him. And, and he wrote about creation, quote, only the scent, that it's only the scent of a flower we haven't found. When we see creation, it's like we're, we're smelling the scent of the flower, but we don't really see it. It's only the echo of a tune that we can't quite hear. Or, or it's like the news from a, a country that we've never visited. He's, he's saying that the creation has these, these kind of hints, these little signposts that seem to point to something else. And, that would be God's own presence for those who are inclined to faith. But they're only, they're, they're not proofs, they're only signposts. They're hints of God's activity. And which means that you cannot prove to people God exists. There's, there's no certainty in faith. There's no proof that's the essence of faith. Faith can only be faith actually when there's, where there's this kind of inherent uncertainty, which is kind of disturbing. Something with absolute certainty requires no faith. So here's the challenge of all of this. How do you read the clues? I mean, do they tell a story that there's this divine being behind it all? You know, God who's at work? Or, or, or is all the phenomena that we see really have no need of a story? I mean, 
the truth is you don't have to believe anything about what is seen. Lots of folks don't. But what about you? I mean, is there a narrative beyond what you see? I like this room. I mean, what if something really did happen here? What if, what if this mess is, is evidence of the convergence of a bunch of stories coming together? Interesting ones. Interesting people who would engage and enrich us if we dared to believe and, and seek them out. Christian home, everything was perfect. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and you had all the training. Right. So they, you were trained up in the way of the Lord so that you would not depart from it when you got older. And that you had some challenges. And uh, so tell me a little bit about your story. Tell me a little bit about how faith kind of came to be your own, how you sort of, maybe, maybe how you started processing it when you were earlier before you had to try to figure that out. What was going on? Well, um, you know, I grew up in a Christian household decided early on I was gonna you know be in the ministry and uh, just never had any reason to believe that I would struggle hmm. in any way of my faith so when did you start to have a sense of question and struggle um, and then I started taking theology classes and, and started really learning about you know what we what is it that we really know for sure about the Bible and early on I figured out that at least what I thought I knew I I couldn't prove anymore. Mm -hmm. I lived in a in a context where you there was a conspiracy of the, the world conspired against Christians. Yes. And, you know, history was pushing us towards a final conflict yes. with the world. And that the Bible was kind of a scientific book as well as a the, religious book. Exactly. Okay. Right. And um, when it came to you know dealing with questions of you know there, there's no consensus about this key tenet of my faith or experience. That was difficult for me to deal with. Nuance to me was kind of, you know, intellectually dishonest. You know, this was my, you know, 19-year-old Right. Opinion. Things had to be black or white. There couldn't have been any shades. Right. Shades, are for, shades are for cowards, okay. I thought. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had to um, admit that maybe we don't know everything. So where did that lead you in well, your faith? I mean, it sounds like you're getting kind of painting yourself into a corner. 
I was comfortable with it in mm -hmm. the beginning. It was kind of, kind of, you know, illicit, kind of like, oh, this is, you know, interesting thing to think about, yeah. and you yeah. know, you know, my wife is busy being a student, and you know, we're we never really got plugged into to a local church that kind of didn't offend my sensibilities. Yes. Um, so it was just kind of easy to just kind of stop trying at fate. So, how did you feel when you got to that point where you just felt like? Like you couldn't believe it anymore. You know, from what I understood how God worked, you know, he, he knew what I was thinking all the time. Yes. He knew that I was going through this. And um, so therefore, you know, this was a test that I had to, to pass. And I felt like I'd failed it. But the only reason why I'd failed is because he wasn't proving himself. And yeah. therefore wasn't interested in me Enough coming to, to the right answer. Yeah. Assuming he was there. There's yeah. just no way out of that other than to say, you know, chuck it. Yeah. So, you know, I did. I just kind of, uh, you know, just kind of spent time questioning. So would you have called yourself a full-blown atheist or just an agnostic? I kind of skipped agnostic and just went to straight to atheist. But I, I you know, I, I never verbalized it to anybody. Right. I, I couldn't do that. Did you go to church at all? Did, would you, did you? I did, yeah. yeah. I. Um, <laughs> so you're sitting in church as an atheist, your wife doesn't know you're an atheist, your family doesn't know you're an atheist. It's, it's a weird experience, and, yeah. you know, unfortunately a lot of people do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there are a lot of former evangelicals that become atheists that stay in the church because they risk losing everything. If they, their friendships, their reputation, their connections. Yeah. Um, so that was my fear. You know, I, I will suffer through this. Um, I will deal with the the hypocrisy. I will deal with, um, you know, being intellectually dishonest to myself. I will waste my Sundays. I will waste my money, you know, giving, um, you know, to keep my marriage, to keep face, um, you know, in my social group, in my deciding whether or not Christianity is ethically okay for me to be involved in. Pick up C.S. Lewis's book *Mere Christianity*, um, and I knew that I knew that he was a former atheist. So I thought, well, he's going to give kind of a, a reason. Right. You know, he's not going to be, you know, weird about this. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a logical person. Um, so my my thought was, you know, I'll you know easily, you know, get past all the arguments for for belief right. and move on to you know how should Christians live and you know kind of in the modern world and maybe be able to find some footing to justify you being a Christian without being a Christian. All I can say is it was a, a, I think that I was set up by God <laughs> in that situation. I mean, I I didn't do enough research on C.S. Lewis probably before I went into that. If I wanted to hold on to this, you know, this firm atheism that I, you know, while it was secret, it was firm. Right away, right off the bat, you know, he's making this case for, for God in a way that does not rely upon scripture as, you know, proof as text. the proof, as proof okay. text, yeah. right. Um, and it speaks directly to where, where I'm at, you know, here I'm a person that still has a desire to be moral. And he explains where that comes from in his opinion that it, it's outside of nature. We have this tendency to do one thing, but we all understand this innate desire to do this other thing that we call good. And that cannot be passed on genetically. It doesn't, doing good does not necessarily benefit you. It doesn't necessarily help you get an advantage over somebody else. It's something that's kind of universal that we all get. 
you know, it doesn't take very long for him to make the case that that is God's mark on humanity. You, you know, it's really interesting because being in pastoral care all of my life, I remember this distinct feeling that I had when I was preparing. I was a Wednesday night thing years ago. And I, the distinct feeling I had was that a lot of people don't get what faith really is about. That a lot of times um, we sort of construct things based upon our hopes, based upon what we've been told, based upon ideas that are sometimes faulty, based upon the social connections that we have. And, you know, really faith is one of those things that, that I think really are very, it's, it's a thing that's not absolute. It's a thing that's not for sure. It's a thing that has inherent within it this notion of maybe not as much as maybe. And sort of wrestling in that and being okay with that wrestle. Thanks for sharing your story with me, man. It's great. Those of us who embrace faith live our whole lives for someone we've never seen. And we believe in things we're convinced of, but, but we can't prove, at least empirically. It, it turns out that faith has some, some messiness in it. And those of us who choose to believe, we believe even when doubt presses on us. Because faith is a choice, it, and it has a bit of this blind leap in it. Oddly, for lots of people, people of faith, they try to avoid being honest about this. And they talk about faith as though it were an absolute certainty. And the idea of being honest about doubt at all, it makes them nervous. They think that any questions of doubt that rise in their minds, it, they see it as an evidence of a lack of faith, which you know, then disqualifies them from being authentic believers. I think if we aren't honest about the tensions present in faith, the problems emerge. I mean, don't misunderstand me. Faith has won the day in my soul. I mean, there's something deep within me, like that uh, E.T. phone home beacon thing. It sort of draws me inexorably back to the pursuit of the holy. Maybe faith comes to its finest moment in the presence of uncertainty and doubt. I mean, that would mean that having doubt is not an indicator that you don't have faith. In fact, it may actually indicate that faith is growing deeper in you. Thinking people should not be ashamed because they're drawn like magnets to the uncertainties and the questions that are inherent in faith. I mean, faith is not supposed to come naturally. Faith is this venture of human consideration and divine illumination, and certainly that makes it difficult to the natural mind. But what if faith can only exist in a world where faith is difficult?